Well, things were definitely a bit quieter overnight with markets stepping back a little as they wait to figure out just what the impact of Omicron is going to be and which way inflation is heading. And on that, US CPI numbers are out tonight. And China, worried about the value of the yuan. They've managed to drag it down a bit today and they've pulled the Aussie down with it as well. It's Friday, the 10th of December, 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. A much more cautious mood today, it's fair to say. U.S. equities are down. The Nasdaq's lost 0.9%. The S&P 500 is down 0.2%. In Europe, the euro stock's 50 off by 0.6%. And bond yields are falling further. Ten-year treasuries have lost three basis points. German bond yields down four basis points for 10 years. Seven points off 10 years in Canada. Uh, the U.S. dollar's climbed 0.4% on the DXY index. It's lost 0.1% to the Japanese yen. But it's gained half percent on the euro. The Aussie dollar has lost ground as well down 0.3 percent to 71 just below 71 and a half us cents and oil more than 1.2 percent down for brent and wti so has omicron caught up with the markets again is that why the caution let's find out from nabs ray actual in sydney i mean maybe not the variant itself but maybe fears of more restrictions after those moves in the uk what do you reckon ray uh, quite possibly morning phil um a couple of things i think i think there is i mean obviously we had a sort of a diet of you know relatively good news didn't we earlier in the week that did seem to be feeding mm. the um you know the risk market rally if you like um you know we haven't had any obvious positive news obviously i think the no. you know what's happened in the UK that you talked about uh, yesterday, you know, certainly had an impact, perhaps more so in the UK, but I think it has spilled over globally. Um, you know, the view that um, certainly from Pfizer that we could be, you know, certainly into early next year before you know they can tweak the vaccines to, to provide the same degree of efficacy against uh, Omicron. Um, you know, so yeah. that's not not obviously good news. So I'm saying the storm clouds are gathering, but I think that sense that hang on, we're not, you know, we're not out of the woods here. Uh, but I also think that you know we'll talk about it in a second but the US CPI looms large yeah, and remembering what that yeah. did last month I think that's adding to the cautious tone Well they are the two big questions aren't they? How bad is Omicron going to be and uh, and uh, what impact is it going to have on inflation and you know what's inflation going to be like anyway? Just quickly on Omicron there's a Japanese study showing that uh, uh, they reckon it's four and a half times more transmissible than Delta uh, might have been so uh, you know that that just adds to those concerns doesn't it? But look before inflation, or maybe this is a bit of inflation as well, two good bits of news that we've, we've had. Uh, the jobless claims last week in the US fell to 184,000, which is the lowest level in more than 50 years. So the, uh, you know, almost 2 million making claims still. Uh, but, you know, a year ago it was 20 million. So that's a step up. But of course, a tighter labour market means that uh, if that's where we're heading, then, you know, that's an inflation concern. But inflation in China... Um, is up, but not as much as expected, 2.3% year on year. So we can take some solace from that, perhaps. Um, possibly. I think for as far as global inflation is concerned, it's actually the producer price index that's probably more important. <coughs> Excuse well, me, that was CPI. Not good news. Um, that did yeah. fall. <laughs> well, that was 12.9%. Which, yeah. which is less than it's so off from sort of 13 point something, um, but not as yeah. much as expected. So actually, it wasn't particularly good news there. Although, to reading around it, um, there is good reason to think that we'll have a sharper um, fall off, certainly given what's been happening 
happening with some commodity prices. Um, you know, mm. when we get next month's figures, so you know, but it's still, you know, at that twelve point nine percent, there's still, you know, it's still imparting an inflationary force um, onto the rest of the world at least. So, um, so yeah, so that's uh, that, that's another jobless claim. So I was going to call you out last week because you were suggesting that you know that we'd gone up to two hundred and twenty, and that it's still the second lowest number for for many many years. But what have we got? We've got the lowest number since nineteen sixty nine, hundred and eighty four thousand. Yes. So you know the conundrum is well, given that claims are at um, you know whatever that is, um, you know fifty year lows, fifty plus year lows. You know why isn't employment you know rising more? And obviously we've been through the entrails of last well, week's payrolls number, and and you know, it, it, it does suggest that we should be seeing stronger payroll numbers, but but very dependent on a lot of a lot of factors like participation, for example. So firms still seem to be struggling to hire the people that they want. That's obviously one message, but um, but the claims numbers are, are certainly indicating that there is undeniably a very very tight. Uh, labour market and firms just don't want to let people go. Um, you know, obviously the you know the quits rate is is of some relevance there, but this one tells you that you know companies don't want to let people go because at the point where they then want to rehire them, um, they're going to have problems doing that, and the chances are they're going to have to be paying higher wages to uh, to, to get them yeah. through the door. Completely, yeah, absolutely, it is, and that's possibly the reason why they're having difficulty recruiting because they're not offering enough. Maybe you know that's part and parcel of all of that, which gets back to to inflation. Which I mean, where there's a lot of that happening today, of course, with the US CPI tonight. Whatever they are, I mean, they're going to be a little out of date, aren't they? Because if we see supply chains getting worse again uh, with more global measures against the the spread of Omicron, um, then you know that, that that's going to change the uh, ch- change the figures dramatically, isn't it? Well, certainly it is, and it's uh, you know it's going to play to the uh, you know further into the the, the you know the, the non transitory nature. So you know, we're just talking about the labour market there. So you know and the point is that you know if we are seeing wage pressures continuing to build, then that is clearly you know not part of the um, you know it's a complete contradiction of the transitory story at least. But um, but yes, if we're having, I don't think these are these are old news. These are in November, so they're only you know a couple of weeks old. And you know the important thing is mm. that we're going to almost certainly going to see a further lift in the annual rates. And remembering that you know the rise that we had last month in headline inflation to six point two was the highest since nineteen ninety. If market consensus is near right for tonight's numbers, which is for the headline to go up to six point eight and the core reading to go up to four point nine from four point six, that will actually be the highest reading since nineteen eighty two. And um, I was just reminding myself because I'm the oldest guy in the room obviously I lived through this but back in 1979 when Paul Volcker took the helm of the Fed and decided that the only way to get inflation down was was through causing a recession inflation was actually 15% um, and they jack rates up to 19%. So, because there is clearly a debate going on as to whether, you know, interest rates in real terms are going to have to get into um, real and into positive territory if this really is an inflation issue that ultimately you know, proves to be the result yeah. of, of two stimulatory policies uh, in the US and elsewhere. So, we're all carrying through. so much more housing debt than we were back then, Luke. So, I mean, there's, uh, you know, the, 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 the response to, to those interest rate moves is going to be much more than it was you know back in that in your day well that's the expectation and that's what the bond market's saying right it's basically if you look at where they've got the term every time the market's ratcheted up its expectations for the timing and the potential extent of rate rises next year it's actually you know we've seen the curve flattening and the market's saying you know we think you're going to struggle to get you know certainly as high as two percent and and possibly no higher than about one and a half percent so that is the you know the acid test is is, are those sorts of rate rises going to be enough um you know to call overall demand through principally you know what's happening with 
housing debt. Although remember in the US, you know, most mortgage debt is 30 years. And what's been happening yes. to the 30 year bond yield while front end rates have been going up, it's been going down. So actually, you know, debt servicing costs in the US are going down while they're going up in most other parts of the world where, you know, at best people are fixing mortgages for out to sort of three years or so. So, um, you mm. know, different, a very different picture in the US in terms of what might actually prove to be necessary to uh, to cool demand uh, than other parts of the world. Um, last time we had the uh, University of Michigan inflation expectations, that, um, that that had the 10-year figure out at 3%. I mean, that's, if it keeps on that way, I mean, that you know, you can't say that's transitory, can you? So, no, but I, I mean, I think it's the, we'll also get the, the one-year inflation expectations reading, and that was, uh, I'm just trying to remind myself why that was last time. It was um, it was up at um, four point something, and I think it's probably, it's expected to be up to something like 5%. So, um, yes, that, that 5 to 10, the 5 to 10 you want at 3%, um, you know, it, it's high, but it's still implying that, um, you know, consumers think that ultimately, you know, inflation will be brought back to heel. And, and a lot of these inflation expectations readings don't bear a lot of, you know, a, a lot of uh, um, significance as far as reality is concerned. A lot of them are up at 6, 7, 8%, for example. So, um, you know, the problem is that inflation expectations are often governed by, you know, the things people buy relatively frequently and therefore notice the prices, but they don't notice the prices of, of things like uh, cars. Well, cars is a bad example in the last year, of course, you know, and consumer electronics that have been going you know, consistently down in price over the years. But um, yeah. anyway, they'll certainly be interested in that. More importantly, with that University of Michigan, just to say that obviously that number we had last month was a 10-year low. Um, it's expected to pick up a little bit, but if we have back-to-back numbers that are at 10-plus uh, year lows, then that will sort of just raise the temperature a little bit as far as the, uh, you know, the, the question of whether or not this high inflation numbers are going to have a significant effect on, on consumer confidence as we go into next year sufficient to cause a pullback in spending. And what's China up to right now? Because they've raised their foreign currency reserve requirements again. I mean, they've done it earlier in the year. They're, so that, they're clearly worried that the yuan is getting too high. Is that what they're doing here? No, absolutely. So yesterday was the first, <coughs> excuse me, sign of protest at, um, you know, the sort of relentless strengthening in the CNY, um, you know, even in the face of, of a strengthening US dollar. Um, so we were down at almost 6.35 one to the US dollar on, uh, on Wednesday. Um, yesterday they've stepped in. Uh, firstly, at the, at the at the fixing, they actually fit. They do the daily fix as, just as the market's opening, uh, and that fix was a slightly weaker one than had been expected. So that was the first sign. But then, more significantly, they've raised the reserve requirement ratios for uh, banks in terms of holding foreign currencies from seven to nine percent. So think of this as the opposite of the the triple R cut that we had at the beginning of the week. That's designed to uh, to free up one for uh, for borrowing. This actually Actually, sort of takes about twenty billion uh, U.S. dollar uh, dollars out of uh, out of the market. So effectively, it's making it more expensive to uh, to short, say, the U.S. dollar against the the, the Chinese one. So um, um, you know, the effect of that was to pull the, the dollar one rate up from say six thirty five to uh, nearly six thirty eight. So they've clearly sort of drawn a little bit of a line in the sand here, which is uh, you know understandable. And if you look at the one in trade weighted or broad terms, it's been uh, it's been rising relentlessly to uh, to you know, to ever increasing highs. So I just think that they're just saying, look, enough is enough. But um, I don't think it means mm. that it's the start of a weakening trend, at least. But um, while they've called, hard to call time on it and it's weakening a little bit, that does feed back a little bit into emerging market currencies and also the Aussie. So, you know, Aussie down from sort of close to 72 to a nearer 71 and a half. I think that probably has something to do with yeah. the pullback as long as well as this sort of slight pullback in risk sentiment 
ahead of the numbers tonight. Yeah, the one down half a percent on the US dollar today. So how does the Evergrande saga uh, play into into all of this? I mean, uh, I would have thought investors would be shying away from putting too much investment into, into China, foreign investors into into China right now after the Evergrande default. Well, that's not been the message from uh, from the China yesterday. There was statements saying, look, they expect the one to remain relatively strong because overall there are still there are still inflows. It's, it's a little bit to know what's going in and what's going out. But, but generally speaking, the message has been that the trade surplus is very high. That's drawing one in. And, uh, and bond flows mm. and equity fl- inflows, partly for structural reasons, as, as global investors are having to sort of uh, force buyers because, you know, Chinese um, uh, fixed income and equities are, are playing an increasing part in these global indices that the global fund managers are tracking. So that is sort of keeping the one relatively strong. And Evergrande, I think that in, for me, we've had Fitch actually formally declaring default on the Evergrande overnight. That's the first of the rating agencies to do so. But remember, their foreign currency debt's already trading at about 20 cents in the dollar. So I yeah. think this is more, you know, the formal defaults is almost like lancing a boil, I think, and it's almost cathartic rather than that. Uh, you know, because it does mean the process of local authorities starting to take over the running of, uh, of these big property developers and, and probably doing enough to ensure limited contagion in terms of, you know, so so home buyers and suppliers, etc., will probably continue to be serviced. And so I think that, you know, this is the start of the process of, of limiting the broader contagion. And we don't want to hear people talking about lancing boils at this time in the morning. Thanks, Ray. Uh, look, UK uh, GDP numbers uh, coming out later on for, for October. We also get industrial production numbers. Uh, as well. So uh, how is GDP going for the UK? And, and, you know, where are they going to go from here with all these uh, more stringent measures? Uh, I mean, on the positive side, of course, they've got more triple jab people. So actually, they could do quite well out of all of this. Well, 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 quite possibly. But, uh, you know, I think there's still a lot of there's still a lot of headwinds, I think, with, you know, with the shutdowns coming, tax mm. increases next year, what happens with Article 16. Uh, I think the GDP numbers, they're for October, right, the monthly read. So I don't think they're going to be a little bit too backward looking, although I think they are expected to be reasonable, 0.3 percent on the on the month at least anyway uh, but industrial production not looking too flash I don't think so um, you know I think compared to everything else that's going on in the UK at the moment I, I, I doubt this is going to add a lot to the mix tonight right and possibly a change of prime minister sometime soon as well he's not having a good time of it at the moment over there look uh, the ECB Christine Lagarde Jens Weidman and Francois Villeroy they're going to be talking at the same panel ahead of the ECB meeting next week a report from Reuters saying what uh, Gavin's been saying basically uh, on this podcast that uh, it's possible that they will, when they reduce their emergency bond buying program, they might just step up their asset purchase program. So it's like taking with one hand and adding with the other. Uh, But that's all tomorrow. Very soon, though, the uh, BNZ Business New Zealand Manufacturing PMI, which we know is going to be firmly over 50. So they're doing all right. They're still making stuff, but we'll find out uh, whether there's any form of contraction in their GDP numbers, which are out next week. Uh, But that's next week. Uh, We'll leave it there for now. Good to talk, Ray. We'll catch you again next week. Really, thanks, Phil. Go and get that boil scene too. And that's it for this week on The Morning Call. I'm Phil Dobby for now. See you on Monday morning. Have a great weekend.